At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Church family, when you come to worship, most people would say, you know what, I want the pastor to unpack the scriptures in a way that I can understand them, that I can take a hold of them and apply them to my life. Others would say, well, I want to know the scriptures, but I'm more concerned about that daily application piece. I want to know how to walk out my faith when I walk out the doors of the church building on Sunday morning." Now, others of us would then say, well, you know what, that's great, but I want the message to be relevant to what's happening in our world. I don't want it to be some abstract kind of idea about the scriptures that has no connection to my real life and to what's happening in our culture. We want to see how the scriptures speak to the issues of our day. I want to just give you a little a little inside information. Pretty much every pastor I know is trying to accomplish all three of those things on any given Sunday morning. But here's what's also true. Sometimes we hit the mark and sometimes we don't. I also want you to know that when I don't, some of you tell me about it. (laughs) But that's a different story. The reason I highlight this as we begin today is because we're entering into a series that I believe will connect with all of those things. I believe what we're digging into over the course of the next six weeks will minister to us in all of those areas in surprising ways. Now, I say surprising Because very few of us, when we're turning to our devotional time, whether we're grabbing our scriptures in the morning, we're doing it over our lunch hour, or as we turn uh, out for the day, many of us will grab the Bible and turn to the New Testament. Others of us might turn to the Psalms. I'm guessing that I could ask every person in this room and there would be not one of us who said, you know what, I've spent time in lamentations in the past year. During the time of great turmoil in our culture, I've turned to lamentations. And yet that's exactly, that's exactly what we are going to be doing over the course of the next few weeks And if we're willing to engage with our hearts as well as our heads, I believe that as a church, we're going to grow. We're going to see God work in our lives. But before we turn there, let's ask him to do that. Let's pray. Gracious Holy, righteous God, 
We quiet our hearts today in this place as we have gathered as your people. We quiet our hearts before you today, acknowledging that you are God and that we are not. We gather as your people to submit to the truth of your word. We do so in song. We do so in prayer. And now, God, we do it as we open your word. God, your word is true. It's the very foundation of our faith. And so we ask that you would speak to our hearts today through your word. It's a different passage than most of us are familiar with. But God, would you in, in the power of your Holy Spirit meet with us as we turn to this book. God, we're going to need eyes to see the truth that's found on its pages, and so we humbly ask for that. We're going to need ears to hear the truth that is proclaimed today, and so we ask for that. And God, we ask now for quiet, reflective hearts before you. And we pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, as you can tell, we are beginning a new sermon series. It is titled, Good Morning, Taking Our Sorrows to the Savior. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, the next six weeks to be exact, we are going to be learning from that Old Testament book that is typically overlooked and completely neglected. I'm just going to be honest. This is not one of those books that when you open your Bible that it's uh, well-worn. It's probably the one of those two pages, those few pages that are still sticking together. That's what's going on in Lamentations. I have to tell you, when I sat down with some friends recently and I said, hey, we've got this upcoming series, and they were saying, well, what series is it? What are you, you going to be digging into? And I said, well, we're actually going to be looking at the book of Lamentations, and I got this collection of kind of raised eyebrows, odd looks, wrinkled faces, like, what? Why? And yet, if we are going to be honest with each other here on a Sunday morning, not just look our best, but if we are going to enter into the truth of our Christian experience, we're going to have to recognize that as a community, as a culture, and as a world, there's probably no better book than Lamentations to dig into after what we've experienced in the past year. Listen to the words of a theologian by the name of Christopher Wright. Here's what he says. He says, Lamentations is a book for today. In a world where the tide of human suffering threatens to overwhelm, whatever dikes we put in place to contain it, is there any book more relevant than this book that gives voice to the most awful pain imaginable? And in lamentation, we will hear a voice. That voice will plumb the depths of suffering, but it will trust in the faithfulness of our God. And church, that's exactly what we are going to strive to do over the course of these next few weeks. We're going to be real. We're going to be authentic with each other. We're going to be honest about what's happened in the last year plus of our lives. The struggles, the questions, the loss, 
and the grief. Because we've all experienced it. Some of us have experienced it more than others. When I'm talking about loss, some of our youth have experienced a tremendous amount of loss. Many of us are grieving the loss of people we love. But these things lead to an all-important question. It's a million-dollar question, really. How have we been grieving? How have we been entering into that loss, that struggle, that grief? How have we been doing that? Have we been doing that in healthy and biblical ways? Or have we simply been numbing the pain? I'm going to turn on a movie. I'm going to play another video game. I'm going to turn to other things instead of running to God and running to the Scriptures. It's so easy to do in our culture to numb the pain, to avoid the pain. I don't want to deal with it, so I'm just going to engage in something completely different that will just take my mind away from my problems. But instead, God's Word invites us to bring our questions, to bring our struggles to Him. In fact, it is good and it is right for us to do so. So let me ask you, as a church, are we mourning well? As a family, are you mourning well? As an individual Christ follower, are you mourning well? Church, this is why. This is why lament is such an important part of our faith because it allows us to to honestly ask God the hard questions. It allows you and me to enter into our relationship in a real, authentic way and ask God questions about things we don't understand, about why these things are happening. It's real and it's raw, and that's what we're going to be doing over the course of the next few weeks. Now, in just a moment, we're going to begin by looking at Lamentations. I'm not just going to talk about it. We're actually going to get there in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give us some really important context. Because you can open a book in the Old Testament and really not have any idea of what's happening. So what we're going to do is we're going to recognize that the setting is Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem, and it's, and it's happening in about 587 B.C., all right? 587 B.C. What's happened is the Babylonian armies have invaded the city. They have destroyed and pillaged until all they've done at the end of this is take captive the people of Judah. It's a mess. Make no mistake, for these people, this is their 9-11. When they look at this, they, when, when you read this story, you have to know the pain and the angst and the intensity that these people were experiencing and feeling because of the destruction. Because of the exile. It leaves an indelible mark on the psyche of all of the people. And so it's from that deep 
sense of loss that a poet writes five chapters of a poem. Most scholars believe it is the prophet Jeremiah who pens this poem, but that's what Lamentations is. Now, I'm guessing that some of you are thinking about like, wow, pastor is talking about Lamentations, and now we're going to dig into a poem that's 3,000 years old. All the guys are like super excited. Wow, I love me some poetry, especially that old stuff. What in the world could that have to do with my life today? A lot, actually. It has a lot to do with what you and I experience in our world because what we're looking at gives us a spiritual discipline that we can practice. The practice of lament. Now, when you say spiritual disciplines, most of us kind of go to the idea of prayer. You're like, yeah, I got that one down. I do that. We're familiar with the spiritual discipline of fasting. Some of us do that. This is a spiritual discipline where we enter into the grief and the mourning of our faith journey. And it's completely different. And perhaps because it is so different, most of us don't even think about it. We, like I said, we leave that portion of Scripture where the pages are still stuck together. We move on from that. But what is a lament exactly? I mean, we know that the book is titled Lamentations, but what is a lament exactly? It is best defined as this, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. I'm going to say that one more time, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. I think that's helpful for each one of us because we're all fallen people living and trying to walk out our faith in a fallen world. And if we're going to be brutally honest with each other, it is hard. It's hard. And so after a year filled with what? Grief and sorrow... It's helpful for you and I to recognize that God has, in fact, given you and I a roadmap for how to deal with this stuff, for how to process what's happening in our world, and it is the experience of lament. And so that's why our series is called Good Morning, because what we're doing is good for our souls. Now, let's grab our Bibles and let's turn together to the book of Lamentations. You're going to find that in your ESV on page 685. And again, that's in the Old Testament. And so we're going to be reading uh, the first 11 verses. That is our text today. We're going to begin by reading verses 1 through 11 in chapter 1 of Lamentations. Let's read this poem together. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who is great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. With tears on her cheeks, among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction. And hard servitude. 
She dwells among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. You see, the roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before their pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wondering all the precious things that were hers from days of old when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored that despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future, therefore her fall, well, it's terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. The tone is clear. It's incredibly heavy. There's sadness. There's despair. And yet, in the midst of the text that I just read you, there are questions that arise. The format is a little bit different than the English language, so when you look, you don't see a question mark there, but trust me, there are three questions that arise from the text that we just looked at. Now, what are these questions? Well, like I said, there's three of them, and we're going to unpack each of those here this morning. The first question that comes up when we mourn is this, how could this happen? How could this possibly happen? Have you guys ever been there? You're in that moment of grief, you're scanning the lay of the land, and you're just wondering, how could this possibly happen? It's a question that we all ask in the midst of our grief. And it's a question that the poet was asked when he was writing. Let's look a little more carefully at verse verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who is great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has now become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. There are tears on her cheek. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, and they become her enemies." Like I said, that opening line isn't a question like you and I are familiar with in terms of our grammatical structure. 
but what they are rather is an exclamation that questions. It's an exclamation or a proclamation that has a question. It has a thread of a question in it. You see, the poet is appalled at what's become of the city. The woman has become a widow. The princess has become a slave. And this princess weeps bitterly. And if that's not bad enough, all her friends are gone. They've departed. What we see in this text is deep grief and deep mourning. And then we get to verse 3. It says, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. Essentially, what's being communicated here is that Exodus story that we all know so well, where God's people were released from captivity. Well, guess what? They're back in it. It's all been undone. God's people have been disobedient to their covenant with their almighty God. And what they find is they find themselves back in captivity. And that's why the poet asked the question, how could this happen? In our times of trouble, we do the same thing that the poet does. In our times of trouble, we don't understand. Things are just not the way that they should be. We should not have half a million Americans who have died because of a virus. That should not be. We should not have cities that have been burned and looted because of racial injustice. That should not be. But those are outside of us. Let's bring it inside. Let's bring it in a little closer to us where our businesses are struggling, some even closing. Where when we engage with our kids, they're struggling with anxiety and with depression. Some spouses in this season have just said, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to invest in my marriage any longer. And God's people, in the midst of those things, that's when God's people ask that question, how could this be? How could this happen? You see, a real and genuine, authentic Christian faith is one that acknowledges pain and grieves loss. That is part of the journey. Personally, as a pastor, I get incredibly frustrated when I turn on the TV or I listen to something on the radio, and what's positioned is a Christian faith that is like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. If you've journeyed the faith walk for any length of time and you're honest about it, you recognize that that isn't necessarily true in our world. Our future is phenomenal. But in our lives, there are things that should bring us to tears. When we journey in faith, there are things that should cause us to weep and that should cause us to yearn for God's kingdom because we're not in it yet. 
We're not experiencing it in its fullness yet. And until we're there, there will be tears. Now let's look at verses 4 through 6 together. The roads to Zion mourn, the poet writes. For none come to the festival, all her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Once again, the poet emphasizes the destruction of the city, kind of marries it with an image of a woman, kind of flips back and forth between that sort of picture for us who read. So in verse 4, we see the destruction of the city. In verse 5, we get to the enemies have been victorious. In verse 6, we see that Zion's glory has been lost. More gut-wrenching. Pain-inducing, grief-filled commentary from the poet. But wait, there's more. Verse 7. Jerusalem remembers in the day of her affliction and and wandering all the precious things that were hers from the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Nobody. Instead, her her foes gloated over her. They mocked her at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts, and she took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible, and she has no comforter. Nobody. Again, the poet is personifying the city as a woman. And verse 8 tells us that Jerusalem, the woman, has sinned. It's right there in the text. That there is this adulterous act of idolatry that brought her to this point. Brings her to the point of affliction and uncleanness. That helps us see the importance of the second question that God's people should ask. What did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? And this question is so important because it moves us from just acknowledging the brokenness of our world. That's what we saw in the first question. And it helps us recognize our own sinfulness and our own depravity. Now I know, church, this is not a popular view. This is not something that people post on their Facebook pages. I'm sinful and I'm depraved. And yet the truth is rebellion and sin are the cause of much of our brokenness. Perhaps it's your own sin. Perhaps it's the sin of someone else. Either way, you've been suffering years later. 
for choices that you made, choices that someone else made. Now, I want to be very clear about this point. This is not to say that everything bad in your life is God's punishment for your choices. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that when we lament... And when we ask God that question, what did I do to deserve this? What we're really confronted with in that moment is the truth of a broken humanity. It's a broken humanity that is in need of redemption and need of restoration. That's what we long for. And church, the good news is that's what Jesus provides. That's what Jesus provides. You see, it is only through faith in God's Son that we can truly experience freedom from sin. We experience that freedom. It's only through faith in Christ does God choose to spare us from what we rightly deserve, and that is an eternity apart from Him. And it is only through faith in Christ that we get to experience what we don't deserve. God showers his people with his grace. It's amazing. And this is why even in the midst of our brokenness, some of which is our own doing, even in the midst of that brokenness, believers have hope. We have hope. Now let's look to the final portion of today's text. Verses 9 through 11. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Right here in verse 9, the city and the woman breaks into the poem and cries out, Oh God, beyond my affliction. This is a desperate cry for assistance. What do you mean by assistance? Attention. It is a desperate cry for attention. Does God see the tragedy? That's the question. Does he know what's happening? Does he see it? And in the case of the city and the woman, what's happening in this text is speaking to violation, desecration, loss, her promiscuity, her adulterous actions have brought this ruin. Now remember, this is a picture of the city and the people who lived there. And yet it's often from this place of shame and forced humility that we look and we find the third important question that you and I get to ask today. God, do you see? God, do you see what is happening? In a world filled with violence and filled with tragedy, we still turn our heads away from the most gruesome things that we see on TV, don't we? If you've ever watched one of those football games where they say, hey, this injury is really bad, some of you are going to want to look away. Sometimes the pain is just too much to endure. We can't take it, so we, we turn away. And it's in that moment, 
that very moment when we rightly ask God, do you see? Do you see what's happening? Are you still looking? Are you watching? Do you see my pain? Do you see my anguish? And church, it's in that moment that we find the ray of hope. Because in the midst of our darkest hours, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our despair, we are reminded that God does not turn away. He does not turn away. In fact, God is so loving and so caring that he sent his only son, Jesus, to break into our world and to bring restoration and forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's all because of Christ and him breaking through the darkness. This is why in the final days of Jesus' life, he said these words to the disciples. He said, in the world, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Such a powerful text. And church, this is why. This is why lament is a spiritual discipline that is good for our souls. It is good and it is right because in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our mourning, God invites you and I to consider some difficult questions. And then take comfort in knowing that he does know, that he does see, and that in Christ, his son, he's done everything that you and I need to bring restoration. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.